Uh, to share with one another um, around the work of our movement, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, for which this church is a part of. Um, so thank you for your hospitality. Um, most of you probably didn't know we were here, but thank you for your hospitality. Uh, we enjoyed being here. Uh, and today, the various board members are actually ministering in different churches around um, Adelaide and South Australia. We have a group of us who have gone to Wyala. Um, I'm here. We have a couple who are preaching in the Mandarin and Cantonese congregations uh, right now. And uh, President Ken and myself will be heading to the Vietnamese church this afternoon. Uh, so it's a real privilege to be able to come and travel and to meet the churches and to allow you to see us that we actually exist as well. We don't just live in a, in a head office somewhere, but we are real people uh, who also love and serve the Lord. Now, my day job is that I'm the Dean of the, Alli of the Alliance Institute for Mission at the Australian College of Ministries. That's the CMA's Bible School. Uh, so if you have any questions about theological education uh, or any difficult theological questions, um, then I can help you find those answers. Uh, so if there's anything that you would like to ask somebody in a safe way, all right, because I won't tell anybody questions you ask me, then after the service I'd be happy um, to chat with you. A couple of other announcements before I get into uh, the message. Firstly, I want to thank you for your faith promise giving. Uh, the Great Commission Fund of the Christian Missionary Alliance is given by churches to support people who are serving overseas for the gospel. And I want to thank you for your faithful giving here at this church, along with all the other churches of the CMA, uh, because at the moment we're serving God and we're supporting people who work in Thailand, Cambodia, East Africa, Vietnam, in France and Indonesia. And just this week at the board meeting, we agreed to support people in India and Nepal as well. So be encouraged that your faithful giving is supporting the work of the gospel in those unreached people groups. The other thing I wanted to mention is that on the 20th and 21st of October, we have the Deeper Life Part 2. Now, it's been quite a while since we did Deeper Life Part 1, uh, which was, I think, prior to COVID. Um, so it's been a while. So we'll do a recap um, for those who, who come. But on the 20th and 21st of October, so you should take out your phones and put in those dates, a Friday night, Saturday, we're doing Deeper Life Part 2, and it will be here in this, in this church, probably in this room, which is where we did it last time, I think. Or next, it was here, yes. Um, so we'd love to see you come to that. Uh, in Deeper Life, we're talking about what does it mean to walk in a deeper relationship with our Lord? How do we grow in spiritual awareness? How do we grow in our spiritual life? What are some of the things we need to do in our lives in order to be open to the work of God and what he might have for us? So that's Deeper Life Part 2. And with that, it's the end of our ads, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, with one another, to come from our various places of work and our homes on this Sunday morning to open your word, to hear from you. Lord, we recognize this morning that we're not just talking about words that come from any book or that words have just been idly printed on a page, but these are the very words of God 
that have been spoken to us, given to us for our exhortation and our encouragement and our correction. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you would give us wisdom and understanding to hear what it is that you are saying to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a question for you. Um, as a professor of theology and, and dean of the school, very interactive, okay? So you're going to have to respond and do things. If you've been coming to a church, that doesn't have to be this church, but any church, if you've been going to church for more than 10 years, put your hands up. Okay, so quite a lot of you. All right, between five and 10 years. Okay, yeah. Uh, between one and five years. Okay, great. Less than one year. Okay, well, well, we've all been here at least one year or more. Quite a lot of us have been coming to churches for more than 10 years. So the question that we ask is, why do we come to church? And one of the questions, that we we're talking about grace, all right? Well, let's just ask the fundamental question first. What do you have to do to get saved? Did you have to recite the Ten Commandments? Or did you have to memorize the book of Romans in Greek and then have a, an exam from the elders of the church to see if you got it all right before you could be saved? Yes? No, no, okay, people are shaking their heads, good. So what did you have to do to get saved? Go on, tell me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul tells us in, in the book of Romans that if we uh, believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead and confess um, that he is Lord, then we will be saved. It's simple to get saved. We don't actually have to do anything. Hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't that good? All right? It doesn't depend on our intellectual prowess. You know, if you only get 98% on the salvation exam, God isn't going to say, where's the other 2%? All right? It's not like it's not a, that we have to somehow work up to receive salvation. It is simply given to us as a gift. That's why we call it grace. God gives us himself. And when we come to him and we say, Lord, would you be my Lord and Savior? Would you forgive me of my sins? He promises to renew us. We are born again is the Christian jargon, right? You've all heard the language, be born again. Yeah, it comes from John chapter 3. And when we think about what does it mean to be born again, it means that God has, has taken our spirits and made us alive on the inside. And that's entirely a work of his grace. We don't have to do anything for the Holy Spirit to come inside us and make us alive. He gives that to us, which is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And then, of course, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Right? And if you actually stop to think about what that means... We should be blown away. All right? The God who created the universe, who said, let there be light, and there was. Who created the heavens and the earth through the power of his own speech, power of the word. This God, by his spirit, comes to live in you when you give your life to him. <sighs> what an incredible gift 
What incredible grace. And you didn't have to do anything except believe. This is the, the, the tremendous truth of the gospel. Yet here we are in church, and some of you have been coming to church for more than 10 years. Why? Is it adding to your salvation? No. But yet we kind of know we have to come together. We have to come and worship. We have to come and be with one another. We have to, we have to work together as the community of God. Because there's that sense, there's that draw within us by the Spirit that says we need to be in, in relationship with other believers. And this is what Paul is getting at here in this passage in Philippians that we've had read to us. Is that he's saying to us, hey, we actually need to do something in response to the grace that we've received. Verse 12, right? Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Just pause there for a sec. Continue to work out your salvation. We'll come back to the fear and trembling bit in a minute. So didn't I just say that salvation is a gift, that it's grace, that there's nothing we have to do? Then why does Paul tell me now that I have to work it out? Isn't Isn't it finished? Isn't it the finished work of Jesus on the cross that makes me saved? Then why do I have to work it out? What do I have to do now? Oh, no, did, did, I, did I get it all right? You know, have I, have I ticked all the boxes that I'm supposed to tick? Is that what he's talking about? I don't believe so. What he's saying here is that there is a difference between what we're saved from and what we're saved for. If we see salvation as simply being saved from an eternity without God, right, to be freed from, from divine judgment and hell, to, be, to have eternity with him in heaven, then we're saved from that eternal end, which is true. But it's so much more than that. God has saved us not just to save us from that eternal damnation and eternal lostness, but he saved us for something. He saved us for himself, for his kingdom, for the work that he has for each of us, to to join with him in what he's doing in this world. That's why Paul says here, look, let's work out this salvation. Let's put this salvation into practice. That's what he's saying. Let's put your salvation into practice. And one of the reasons why we come to church is because that's exactly what we're doing. We're putting our salvation into practice. At the start of the tw- verse 12, he says, look, as you have always obeyed. All right, so here's this word, obedience. Who, who likes the word obedience? Yeah, nobody. All right, because it kind of means we can't do what we want. All right. Um, as our kids were growing up, I said they're older now, we can't do this anymore. Um, but when they were older, you know, you could say you have to do that. Why? Because I'm the mum or I'm the dad. All right, you just got to obey. And usually with, you know, with much fussing. But that's, that's also not what, what Paul is talking about here. But that's our kind of our mindset of obedience. We think, oh, this is negative. The things that I can't do. Think about the Ten Commandments. To obey the Ten Commandments, what do you have to do? 
I'll not lie, not steal, not commit adultery, not have any other gods. They're all nots, nots, nots. There's one, is honour your father and mother. Okay, so that's, that's a positive step. But most of them are nots. So if we stand still and do nothing, then I'm obeying the Ten Commandments. Yeah. How am I going? Am I doing a good job? Yeah. Is that what Paul's talking about? In your obedience of doing nothing, sit there and wait until the day of salvation comes. That's not what he says, is it? In your obedience, what, what are we obedient for? Well, if you turn to Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, this is, well, 18 to 20 is the, the Great Commission, all right? And I'm sure many of you have memorized this one. All right, go into all the world and preach the gospel, yeah? Look at what, what Jesus says that he's telling the disciples to do. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's verse 20. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So this idea of obedience isn't necessarily just don't do those things that you know you're not supposed to do. But it's actually to do that which God has called you to. To do those things that God has instructed us as Christians to do. So that's what Paul is trying to get to us here. Our working out of our salvation comes through the obedience to Christ in all things in life. So this means, um, let's go to the first slide here, it's gift and task. Salvation is both gift and task, all right? We have received grace. It's a gift to us. But now, having received that gift, we get given a task, And that task is to put into practice the salvation we've received. So this then, next slide, I think, is active service. Living a Christian life requires active service. Now, this is not meant to be a guilt trip, okay? I'm just trying to unpack what does it mean to work out our salvation. And he says here, with fear and trembling. Now, the first time that you led worship, Alex, ever, all right? Sorry, there you are. Was there a little bit of nervousness? Was there a little bit of, am I going to get the keys in the right spot? Will the fingers behave themselves? Will I sing? Will I forget the verse or the chorus? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of that. Or the first time you've ever preached, or you do your public speaking, there's a little bit of fear and trepidation, a bit of nervousness, all right? What's the number one? fear people say after death and taxes you know it's it's public speaking all right because people are watching us they're judging me if i do a bad job they'll say nasty things so then i start panicking i get nervous is that what paul's talking about here oh god's watching me (laughs) whenever i do anything for him i need to be nervous in case i get smitten (laughs) all right god's gonna strike me down if i take a foot wrong Is that what he means? No. We've sung about the love of God today. We've sung about his grace and his mercy. We know that he deeply, deeply cares for us. So Paul isn't saying here that we have to serve God in some kind of fearful state. But rather we, we recognize that in our service, 
It's not about us. Right. And this is a big thing, for, not just for Christians, but for, you know, for people. We often want to make what we're doing about us. See how good I am. See, see what I've achieved. Wasn't that a great worship set we sang before? You know? Didn't Alex do a wonderful job? And so then he'll, and, and the other musicians, of course, and singers, thank you. Right? Didn't they do a great job? So then they, oh, did a great job. You know, I should do it next week too. Right? We get pride. We have proud. And in, in that setting, we then forget that our service isn't about him. We make it about us. I want to come back to humility in just a little bit. But this is what Paul is talking about here, that we do things in willing obedience out of humility. Now, last year I got to go on long service leave. So I had a, a tremendous privilege of traveling um, overseas with my wife and we went uh, to Europe and did some, some touring and some traveling and visiting a lot of churches and historical Christian sites. Um, and on one particular weekend, we happened to be in, in Paris and that morning, while I was doing my devotions and my quiet time, the Lord reminded me of Matthew chapter 5, which is the Beatitudes. So it's fantastic you guys are studying that um, now. Uh, towards the end of chapter 5, in verse 42, I think it is, Jesus says these very important words. He says, give to those who ask of you. Right? And then it continues on about not holding back from those who are begging, things like that. Now, as I travelled around on our, on our holiday, I saw a lot of people who were begging, a lot of people who were wanting money. And sometimes, you know, you see them in the distance and they're on their mobile phones talking to someone. And as you get closer, they see you and they put their mobile phone away and then they ask for money as you're walking past. What does that do to you? I tell you what it does to me. It's like, well, you don't really need my arms. You know, if you've got a mobile phone and you're chatting away to your friends, you know, you're not missing out on certain things, right? You're not missing out on a food, on, on a meal today. So you kind of get cynical. But as I'd seen this, because I saw it a lot, and there's actually in, in some of the European countries cartels of people who um, are on the street to, to, to in order to be begging, right? But then they take the money and then the, the cartel takes the money from the beggar, all right? So it's actually an industry that is really, really, I mean, it's a despicable industry, you know, um, using people who are, who are suffering and poor to make money for others. But you see all that and then there's a, a, a cynicism that comes into the spirit about, oh, well, you know, do I just give my money to this kind of thing? But then I'm reading this, this verse from Matthew 5.42. Right? Give to those who ask of you. So I'm reflecting on this all day. And then at the end of the evening, we were coming back. We'd done something. We were coming back. It was late at night, 11 o'clock or something. And we were catching the, the, the subway. And as we're going down the stairs, there's nobody there. It's really quiet. We're going down the stairs to get to the underground. And a man comes up coming from the other way. Well-dressed, uh, looks normal. And he says, are you American in perfect English? And I said, well, no, we're Australian. He says, oh, thank God. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure whether you're thanking God that we speak English or you're thanking God that we're not American. You know, but either way, um, okay, yeah, great. He says, oh, I'm Canadian. All right. Uh, he says, I've just been robbed. 
I've lost my backpack, it's been taken, all my money has been taken. I've just got these, my, my shopping stuff that I was with, but my family is at a hotel near Disneyland in Paris, and I can't get there because I have no money anymore. I need money for the train and then the taxi fare from the train station to the hotel. Can, can, you, know, can you give me um, some money? And uh, I'm like, oh, okay, let's tell me more about the situation, right? Because he, he's looking like he's not um, poor. And some of, the, some of the things he's saying isn't quite ringing true. I turn to my wife, and she's giving me this look and going, uh, 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 like, okay, so there's something not right here. And then he starts talking to me about how he's this really rich guy, he's got lots of money, and tomorrow he'll give me $200 US if I just give him some money now. And, um, you know, and it, it goes on. Um, and then he says, look, I've got these golf balls, a pack of three golf balls. I'll give you these golf balls if you give me some money. And he says, oh, well, how much money do you need? He says, 45 euros. Right, very precise figure, 45 euros. And do you know how much money I had in my pocket? 45 euros. <laughs> and you know what immediately came into my mind? Matthew 5, 42. <laughs> and I'm like, it just, it just doesn't sound right. Like, I'm not giving you the full picture. He went on and on and on. And every time he talked, you know, it's his birthday. And, you know, and it's just everything was going wrong for him. Right? And it just, everything was just screaming, this is a scam. But he asked for 45 euros. I had 45 euros in my pocket only. And God had talked to me about Matthew 5:42 that very day. So I said to him, you know what? I'll take those three golf balls most expensive golf balls I've ever bought and I'll give you 45 euros because God says to give to those who ask may you be blessed then we walk off and my wife says well we just got scammed right. <laughs> I said probably and I went back looked up how much when we got to the hotel she's like as soon as I get to the hotel I'm looking up on the Wi-Fi I want to find out how much those golf balls actually are right because there's no way they're worth 45 euros <laughs> And they looked at about 42 euros 50, apparently, which I thought, oh, that's pretty good. But then I looked at them closely, and they were all spelt wrong, so they were <laughs> Chinese knockoffs. <laughs> right. So we probably got scammed. But you know what? It didn't matter. Because God had been speaking to me about whether I would be obedient in this particular text. Now, I didn't then go out and give money to every single person that I walked past. But that particular occasion, God had spoken to me about my willingness to work out my salvation in a context where I'd already become a little bit cynical. I'm not saying it was a test, but it was an opportunity to show that I was willing to step out and do that. And I think some of the issues that we have with, with being obedient to the Lord is that we are risk-adverse. All right, you think about um, Peter walking on the water. All right, when Jesus is, is um, sorry, Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter and the disciples are in the boat, and um, Jesus is going to walk past them, and then they see the disciples see him and they panic. You remember the story? And then Peter says, "Lord, if it's really you, call to me and come and walk across the sea." And so, what does Jesus say? Don't be stupid, Peter. You'll sink. No, he says, "Come." 
So what does Peter have to do? He gets out of the boat, he starts walking on the water, he's taking an incredible risk. All right? His eyes are on Jesus, but then he sees the winds and the waves and he sinks. But Jesus rescues him. All right? Great story. But you know, we are so risk adverse today that when it comes to doing what God asks us to do, to walk, to work out our salvation, this is the way we, we, we prepare to get out of the boat. Next slide. Yeah? We can, I'll do it, Lord, but I'll do it in my way. I'll do it with my protections. All right? I'll do it making sure that I'm, I've got everything that I need to feel safe. But this is, this is saying yes to God, but, rather than yes to God, full stop. Paul says we need to say yes to God, full stop. And verse 13 is why. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This idea of work, this second word of work, it's actually two different Greek words for work, well, the same root, but different expressions of the word work in verse 12 and verse 13. In verse 13, it carries the idea of energize, right? that God will actually empower and energize you to do the work that he has called you to do. Our job is to take that step of faith and to enact what we hear God saying to us without saying, yes, God, but. To say, yes, God, full stop. Now, the second point here as, we, as we're coming to um, the, the, towards the end of our message. Do everything without complaining or arguing, Paul says so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. See, the Christian life is relational. So next slide. The Christian life is relational. Working out our salvation in fear and trembling is to be done in the context of believers. So what does Paul immediately say? He says that you've got to do this, you've got to live in the context of other believers without complaining or arguing. Why does Paul need to tell us that? Because we're very good at complaining and arguing. All right? It just becomes natural to us. We want to do it. We like complaining. You know, it's not fair. Why should I have to do that? Why didn't I get this? Why did my brother get that and not me? Right? It just, it's, a, it's an attitude of self-first. Paul says we shouldn't do this. In fact, the fruit of humility, right, if we are doing everything without complaining or arguing, we get this fruit. We become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this crooked and wicked or depraved generation. So there's actually a promise here that if we act in humility, so that fear and trembling before in doing what God has called us to do, then there is a reward for that. The reward is that we are seen as pure and blameless. And we get to, as it goes on to the next uh, sentence, to shine like stars in the universe. If you, if you go back to the start of chapter 2, particularly from verses 3 down to 11, we see Paul saying here, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others better than yourself. All right, that's verse 3. 
So you can see how all of this is connecting together. And the example that Paul gives then after verse 3, flowing through to verse 11, is the story example of Jesus, who being the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to hold on to, but became nothing, emptying himself, right, and becoming a man and going to the cross. And because he was obedient to that, and the humility involved with that, verse 9, God exalts him to the highest place. God gives him the reward for his humility. Now, sometimes in Christian context, we don't like to talk about getting rewards from God. All right? We should just be faithful servants. But here in this text, Paul makes it very clear that in our service, God responds to that in positive ways. Now, this is not prosperity doctrine. This is not saying if you give $100 to church, God will give you $1,000 back. All right? That's not, what God's, that's not what the text says. The promise is one of being a person who is blameless, a person who is pure, a person who is without fault. That is the reward. In other words, the reward is to become like Jesus. That is what it means to work out your salvation. It is to become like Jesus. This means, friends, that we will never actually get to the end of our working out of our salvation in this life. Because we will never finally become like Jesus until we get our new resurrected bodies. So every day is a new opportunity to shine like the stars in the sky. Now when the the stars shine, what do you see? You see light. You see them sparkle. They look like diamonds in the sky, right? They're beautiful. This is the promise of what God has given us. As we work out what it means to become like Christ, we end up being able to be an example of the beauty of Christ to the world. So, the take-homes, last slide. God works in us as we demonstrate the reality of our salvation through what we do. Okay? It's a, it's a simple message, but it's an important one. So here's my question to you. What is it that God has been asking you to do that you've been resisting? What has he been laying on your heart? What burdens has he been giving you that you've been saying, oh, yes, God, but? I fought with God for almost 12 months, much earlier in my life. I've learned to be wiser these days. When I was an engineer, I was working in the mines in Kalgoorlie in Western Australia. Great job, great income, gotten married. We, we'd all, we owned a house. We had... You know, two cars. It was, we were doing really well. And God laid it on my heart that I was to give up that career, move across the country, and go to Bible college. I would like to say that I said, Yes, Lord, that's an exciting adventure. We'll do it tomorrow. No. I fought with God for over a year on this one. Have you had anyone else fought with God or anything? Or is this just me? Yeah, a few of you nodding your heads. Did you win? Yeah? No, no, I didn't win either. <laughs> God places that burden in our hearts. And at some point we have to say, yes, Lord, 
I will do it. It's what you've called me to do. And I'm so glad I did. It's been an amazing adventure for the last 23 years. But we have to take that first step. What has God been saying to you? Will you say, yes, Lord, I'm ready to do it? Let's pray. Yeah, worship team, come forward. Father, I thank you firstly that you are gracious with us. That even when we miss it, even when we resist you and we don't want to do what it is that you're asking us to do, you, are, you still love us. You still give us incredible grace. So Father, as we just reflect on this passage of Scripture today about working out our salvation in fear and trembling, we recognise, Lord, that you have called us to put our faith in action. You have called us to be obedient to your call upon our life. Lord, would you encourage us to say yes? And Lord, would you lead us uh, that we might become people who are pure and blameless, that we might shine like stars in the sky, that people might see your glory through us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Peter.